brothers and sisters, welcome to the LDS Fishers of Men podcast. I am your host, Alan. We are coming at you yet again after a awesome chest workout uh, here in the uh, the Allen's Garage Gym. So I'm feeling pretty good. Good workout. Think about some some things that have uh, been on my mind. Things that. Uh, that I think might be of a benefit to you. Uh, I am hoping that the spirit will be here as as we talk, as you guys listen to me ramble on. Um, hopefully the spirit is able to translate those ramblings um, and use the scriptures and thoughts that I share um, and that you will be able to translate those those things into something useful to you into your life. Um, lots of stuff going on in the world still. Uh, things seem to be ramping up some more. Because of that, uh, it's kind of had me doctoring up my subjects a little bit. But what's really neat is the um, the subjects are kind of, they kind of go hand in hand with a lot of what we talk about in Come Follow Me, although I do hit it with some different stuff, you know, it's cool because they they are coming together, and I think that that is uh, is important, um, and it's really cool at the same time. You know, we definitely we need to be studying. Come follow me. We need to be uh, doing our family nights. We need to be doing those the things, right? We can just call those the things. We got to be doing that stuff. Uh, we got to be thinking on that stuff, right? One of the uh, things that I'm sure that you guys will get tired of hearing me say is, you know, the time is here that, you know, I would have said the time is coming, but I think the time is now where we need to decide, are we going to be a cultural Mormon or are we going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a.k.a. a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Um, I think that we are seeing the sifting you know, I think it's been taking place, but it seems like it's ramped up a lot lately. And we're seeing a lot of those cultural Mormons fall by the wayside. And as a matter of fact, the purpose of this podcast is to hopefully try to, to talk some good doctrine, some good basic doctrine, and to provide a, a opportunity for the Spirit to go past any weaknesses that I have and and to be able to reach someone's ears who might be in that camp or who might be on the fence. And hopefully through the promptings of the Holy Ghost we'll be able to come back. That's that's the goal here. That really is the goal. So if you happen to have any friends or anybody like that that you think could benefit from hearing just some good sound um doctrine of christ uh feel free to send them the podcast you know this is one of those things where i hope that we are all edified together um i think that it's important right now that we do things like this that we raise our voices right that we do everything that we can while we can with with what we have at our disposal you know um, I will definitely do my best to keep this on the airwaves as long as I can. You know, I, I, I have to pay to 
keep this podcast rolling on iTunes and stuff like that through an RSS feed, but as long as I am able, and hopefully with the help of the Lord, then I'll be able to, to just keep it rolling, you know, no matter how thing, how bad things get. But I think I will go ahead and, um, along with having it on YouTube and all the other platforms, I'm going to go ahead and start uploading to Rumble uh, as a backup, just in case, so that there will be multiple options, multiple places where uh, where we can get the message out. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. On I'll, I'll be getting this on Rumble here pretty soon. But today, today I thought it might be a good idea to talk about. Uh, maybe some hardships and and um, and starting over as well, starting fresh. Um, I think I'm going to entitle this podcast "Trials and New Beginnings." Yeah, that feels pretty good. That feels right. Let's go with that. Trials and new beginnings. I was actually reading. Um, I made a a covenant with the Lord that I would read at least, you know, I would at least read the Book of Mormon daily five to ten verses before my pillow, or before my head hits the pillow. And that is that was uh, due to some advice that I heard from a general authority, and forgive me because I can't cite my source, I can't remember which one, but he said, uh, lay your head down to the Lord. And so I've been doing that for a couple of years now, where I just, you know, no, no matter what, I can give five to ten verses to the Lord before I go to sleep. And that will be the last thing that occupies my thoughts most of the time before I sleep. And as I have done that, it's been really cool because there's been a level of spiritual protection with that small sacrifice that we put up on the altar there. The Lord accepts it, small as it is, and the level of spiritual protection that we get is phenomenal. And the things that I have been able to come across in my in my simple reading has been really, really cool. I was reading in um, Mosiah chapter 23, and I, I'm now past that, but I wanted to cover this with you guys because I think that this is important. Um, this is, of course, the story of Alma, right? This is the same Alma who was a he was part of the wicked priests of King Noah, so he was in a sinful state when Abinadi came and kind of called the people to repentance, and then called the priests and King Noah to repentance, and uh, sealed his testimony with his blood, right? Through burning through fire. Um, Alma was the only one who listened. But because of that, we see some serious, serious um, good consequences and, and good changing of heart because of his valiant uh, testimony and because of his willingness to do what was necessary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to start reading here um, 
in Mosiah chapter 23, verse 1. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to stop a little bit. You guys know me. We're going to talk, right? We're going to dissect some things and, and have some fun while, uh, while hopefully feeling the Holy Ghost. So starting verse 1. Now Alma, having been warned of the Lord that the armies of King Noah would come upon them, and having made it known to his people, therefore they gathered together their flocks, and took of their grain, and departed into the wilderness before the armies of King Noah. So, I forgot to mention, here. here's a pause here, I forgot to mention that Alma had been in hiding, and had been, uh, had been proselyting, and been preaching, and teaching, and baptizing in secret. And they finally got a lock on him, right? And they, he, had, he and his people, he and his followers had to bail, get out of there. Okay, verse 2. And the Lord did strengthen them that the people of King Noah could not overtake them to destroy them. And they fled eight days' journey into the wilderness. Okay, now let's stop here. I want you to think about those three verses that we read and think about what is significant in those three verses. There's a couple things for sure. One of the things that stood out to me was that it mentions the number of days that they journeyed into the wilderness. Now, I'm kind of a weirdo, and I hone in on stuff like that. <laughs> Just how I am. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I bet there's something there. So, and of course, if you study anything with ancient uh, Hebrew culture, with their uh, religion, you know what I'm saying? Like ancient Judaism, you're going to find some really cool stuff if you look at the numbers. It's something that, as a matter of fact, I think that we've lost a little bit. And when we do that, we can really glean a lot of really cool stuff from the scriptures. So, the number eight. Significance of number eight. Shimoni. Shimona. Literally, to make fat. New beginnings. Not just complete, like seven. Okay, the number seven means complete. Uh, but satiated. Becoming fat is having more than enough full to overflowing, moves from natural to supernatural, transcends natural time and space to supernatural realm. Figuratively, eight takes on, or excuse me, figuratively, eight takes one through a full cycle of seven and begins anew. The one day, Yam Ikad of creation. Okay, this should be this should be ringing some really cool bells here for you. The eighth Hebrew letter, the the Chet, numerical value of eight. The pictograph meaning wall, fence, protect, new beginning, separation, sin outside Olam Haba. Okay, I'll be honest with you, don't know what Olam Haba means. Somebody probably out there who does, okay? 
covenant pictured in circumcision on the eighth day. Okay, they were those babies were circumcised on the eighth day. The tabernacle was dedicated in an eight-day ceremony. High priests wore eight garments, a linen tunic, linen breeches, a linen turban, and a long sash, the ephod breastplate, a cloak of blue wool with bells and pomegranates and a golden plate on their forehead inscribed with Holy to Yahweh. Okay, now there are obvious, like you, I could really go on forever about this. And maybe, maybe I'm one of the only people that thinks this is really cool. But if you take a minute, like this, now this is the difference, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to diminish from my, uh, my just regular reading, where I just, I give the Lord five to ten verses no matter what. That's the bare minimum. I give the Lord five to ten verses, and then my head hits the pillow, right? That is great. That is awesome, right? That is going to render results. There will be spiritual protection with that. That being said, look at those at the simplicity of these verses that we're reading, and look how deep we can go into this. Now, if you know the story of Alma and his people, the number eight now. It's backing. It's it's backing up the entire, the entire uh, feeling or the entire. Uh, well, I can't even think of the word. It's like the the whole, the whole basis to to Alma's story, right? He he was a wicked man, but then he began anew and transcended from the mortal into a a holier realm, right? Uh, starting up the you know the church in the area, having all those people, uh, baptism with all of the his his uh, converts, right? It's really really cool when you start to look at stuff like that, and then you start to think to yourself, okay, well wait a minute, how many uh, barges did the Jaredites have to build? Oh my gosh, they had to build eight barges. How many stones did they have to have in those barges? Do you know, you see what I'm saying here? And then you look at the story. What is the entire story about with the Jaredites? It's about new beginnings in the promised land. They had to cross the ocean, leave the old world, and go to the new world. New beginnings, right? Okay. Also, what goes along with these new beginnings uh, is trials and tribulations. Right? This is... This is one of those things that they kind of go hand in hand. The Lord is going to have a tested and a tried people. Which is why we don't know a lot of what else Nephi wanted to tell us. Which is why he wrote in some Isaiah for us, right? Okay, I'm going to keep, I'm going to continue reading here. I'm going to yak all night. Verse 4. And they came to a land, yea, even a very beautiful and pleasant land, a land of pure water. That should be significant. And they pitched their tents and began to till the ground, and began to build buildings. Yea, they were industrious and did labor exceedingly. Okay, so they are starting over fresh. They're starting anew, aren't they? Verse 9. 
But remember the iniquity of King Noah and his priests, and I myself was caught in a snare, and did many things which were abominable in the sight of the Lord, which caused me sore repentance. Verse 10, Nevertheless, after much tribulation, the Lord did hear my cries and did answer my prayers, and has made me an instrument in the hands in bringing so many of you to a knowledge of his truth. Nevertheless, in this I do not glory, for I am unworthy to glory of myself. Isn't that true? We should all feel that way, huh? Verse 12, And now I say unto you, ye have been oppressed by King Noah, and have been in bondage to him and his priests, and have been brought into iniquity by them. Therefore you were bound with the, with the bands of iniquity. There's so much symbolism here. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Because the whole thing with King Noah was that he was like, hey, riotous living, guys, do what you want. Do what you want. Hey, man, you know, the law of Moses stuff is more like guidelines, right? Go out there and have your, uh, and, you know, sleep around with everybody. Go out there and riotous living, all this stuff. Okay? What happens with his people is that he winds up taxing the heck out of them in order to support him and his riotous living. Him and his, uh, you know, his concubines, all of his harem, basically, right? Uh, his his wicked priests, the same exact thing. He wanted to support them in their sin as well. These these people, under the guise of of freedom, quote unquote freedom, wind up in bondage. That is a type and a shadow of of Satan, of Lucifer, right? With the promise of freedom, with the promise of of free living and you know free from all these rules and regulations and stuff like that you end up in bondage way more than you would have otherwise right true freedom lies in in Christ true freedom lies in the commandments and following the the prophet right following that that uh, that foundation that we hear so much of and that I talk so much of okay Verse 13, And now, as ye have been delivered by the power of God out of these bonds, yea, even out of the hands of King Noah and his people, and also from the bonds of iniquity, even so I desire that ye should stand fast in this liberty wherewith ye have been made free, and that ye trust no man to be a king over you. Okay? That's personal responsibility, isn't it? Okay, 14, and also trust no one to be your teacher nor your minister, except he be a man of God, walking in his ways and keeping his commandments. That's, that's very important, isn't it? You know, and I, I think that we fall into this, and I have fallen into this in the past. You know, and, we we wind up going on YouTube, we go on these channels, and we listen to podcasts just like mine, right? But I think a lot of times there's some dangerous doctrine being taught. Okay, especially that doctrine that tells us to separate ourselves from from the body of Christ and from Christ Himself under the guise of getting closer to Christ. Okay, I'm sure you guys are getting sick of hearing this, but this this message needs to be heard needs to be repeated we've got to we've got to understand this 
okay, under the under the pretense of following men of God, okay, even men of God in our own religion, in our own worldview, there are people there who are. I, I sometimes it's not even on purpose. Sometimes it's accidental. They think that they know more than the mouthpiece, than the brethren, than Christ, because that I mean it goes hand in hand, right? Whether by the voice of me or my servants, it is the same. We need to be really careful about the about the the people that we entrust as our teachers and our ministers, right? They need to be true men of God, okay, sent by the Father. That should ring some bells for those of you who have ears to hear, okay? Uh, let's go verse 16. And now Alma was their high priest, he being the founder of their church. Okay? So verses 14 and 16, those absolutely should be read together. Okay? Verse 17. And it came to pass that none received authority to preach or to teach except it were by him from God. Therefore he consecrated all their priests and all their teachers, and none were consecrated except they were just men. Okay. Let's stop again here because I think that's very important. So, this should be bringing up um, memories and feelings of Joseph Smith. Because this is basically like the same type of thing that's happened here. Although this was not a, a apostasy, a complete apostasy on the land. This was a general apostasy among the people, though that, that specific people. But what we see here is that Alma, he had either received uh, the Melchizedek priesthood or I, I guess I should just say the priesthood. He had received the priesthood either while he was, uh, or before he became a wicked priest, right? He had the priesthood, he was good to go, and then became wicked, and then had to repent. Or he got it, you know, after that somehow, through an, maybe an angel or something like that. I, I tend to think, this is me thinking, here's me stepping outside of the scriptures and giving you what I think, um, I think that he was given authority before, because we know that King Noah's father, Zenith, was a, a good, righteous, just man. So I think that he was probably given the priesthood and the authority beforehand, and then just became wicked. He, he wasn't valiant in his testimony during that time. Okay? So... That's just something to, th to think about, right? We, we see that Alma, he was the one who had authority, right? Just like John the Baptist, uh, Jesus Christ sought him out because he was the one who had authority. He, there was lots of people baptizing around, uh, around Judea at that time. Christ sought out John the Baptist, his cousin, because he had the authority, Okay. That church administration and authority, that's pretty dang important, isn't it? When we, when we read these scriptures, okay? Okay, uh, verse 18. 
Therefore they did watch over their people, and did nourish them with things pertaining to righteousness. Now this is, this is interesting because these people probably left everything. They, they left everything. They probably had nothing, right? They had grain and they had flocks. They probably were sleeping in tents, maybe if they were lucky, because they had to get out of there. They had to get out of Dodge quickly. Yet, you know, they, I, I have the, the strong sense when I read this that this was a peaceful, happy, loving people. And I hope that you get that feeling too, because I think that that is absolutely the case. When you're being nourished with things pertaining to righteousness, I mean, look, look at the past couple of years. Look at how politically things got. You know what I mean? Look, look, at how, look at how easily it was for us to harbor ill feelings towards our, our brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you know when you when you feel like you need to be in a in a tribe, when you feel like you you, you belong somewhere. You know what I mean? It's hard to not want to take up the, the the team flag. You know, but I think that we need to step back, especially recently. We need to step back and make sure that we are sticking with the only team that matters, and that's the body of Christ. Right? Okay. And we nourish ourselves with all things of righteousness. Verse 19, And it came to pass that they began to prosper exceedingly in the land, and they called the land Helam. And it came to pass that they did multiply and prosper exceedingly in the land of Helam, and they built a city, which they called the city of Helam. Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Okay? I'm going to say that one more time. Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. Okay, I'm going to pause there. Uh, in Come, Follow Me, we've been learning a lot about Joseph who was sold into Egypt. Now I'm going to draw a parallel here between Joseph who was sold into Egypt and Alma and his people who have just built the city of Helam. I'm going to pose a question to you. Uh, did they do anything wrong? Did they do anything wrong? Were they deserving? Now, have, we haven't covered what happens to Alma yet and his people, but I'm sure a lot of you know the story. Did Joseph in Egypt deserve to be sold into slavery? What was his crime? Did he deserve to be sold from, or excuse me, to be cast out from Potiphar's house as a slave and being thrown into prison as a prisoner. What was his crime? Okay. Alma and his people. We're going to cover this, uh, but they wind up being in, in, in subjection to the Lamanites. What was their crime? What did they do to deserve that? Okay, Amulon, 
who was who was a wicked priest along with Alma and probably had a massive axe to grind against him. There was some serious hatred there. Gets put over him and his people. What did Alma and his people do to deserve that? That's that's <laughs> it almost seems personal. <laughs> okay. Now they did nothing. Brothers and sisters, they they did nothing. They did nothing to deserve that. That's that's not the point here. Okay? The secret sauce is in verse 21. Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. I'm going to read the next verse and then we're going to talk a minute. Nevertheless, verse 22, Nevertheless, whosoever putteth his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. Yea, and thus it was with this people, talking about Alma's people. Brothers and sisters, I think that we are coming up on hard times. I have been myself, uh, my thoughts have been, have been thinking a lot about my great-grandma And listening to some of the stories that she would uh, that she would tell, you know, and, and things that I would hear secondhand and stuff about other ancestors during the Great Depression, which was a very tough time, as we all know. And this was a tough time when America was very rural, where we. In the 30s, we understood how to grow food. We understood that we, we already had gardens, right? We, we grew food anyway. It just became way more important then. I think that we... I mean, we definitely will have hard times. We know that, right? Only a matter of time before some serious, serious stuff biblical, scriptural stuff happens. But in our own lives, we're going to have these trials that are going to, they're going to test us. They're going to try us. And how we respond to those trials, what kind of patience that we exhibit what kind of endurance do we show? What kind of grit? What kind of gravel is in our guts, right? That's the test. And I have a feeling that we are coming up on a test. That it is uh, upon us. I think that some things are... are and this is just Alan speaking, okay? This isn't, this isn't doctrine... This is me looking at the world right now and seeing things happening and thinking. I think that we have some hard times ahead of us. And while that is scary, and while I have been preparing to mitigate as much as I can the hardships that are sure to come along with a scenario like that, like we're facing... Possibly like what our my great-grandparents faced. I'm 36 years old, right? While we, 
we have that looming over us, there is also opportunity here. And it's the kind of opportunity that is not easily got. It's the kind of opportunity that takes incredible amounts of effort to, to, to achieve. I mean, we're, we're talking Zion's camp level of things to achieve here, right? I'm going to go ahead and read, because I think this sums it up very well from the Book of Mormon student manual on this chapter. He trieth their patience and their faith. Even though the people who followed Alma had repented and been faithful, the Lord allowed them to be temporarily oppressed by the Lamanites in fulfillment of Abinadi's prophecy and as a trial of their patience and faith. Elder Orson F. Whitney of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles taught that everything we experience teaches us valuable lessons. No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we come here to acquire, and which will make us more like our Father and our Mother in Heaven. Pretty powerful. And it's a tough doctrine to swallow. <laughs> not easy is it you know we hear this stuff and you know i can say this all day long right preaching is one thing but you know talking the talk is one thing but walking the walk that's it's hard it's really hard to be a christian you know it really is it's 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 hard to be a true disciple of jesus christ it's not for the faint of heart. You have to actually you have to actually try. You have to put some serious effort into this. And like I say, getting back to the opportunity portion of this. I think that it is um in in our nature to go one of two ways when we face hardships and that that probably more often than we care to admit. I think that when we get these tribulations and these trials, especially big ones that are upon us, I think it's going to be very easy to curse God and die, right? Or to say, man, what did I do to upset Heavenly Father this time? What, what, what did I do to deserve this? Why am I getting this? You know, in... In the eternal perspective, if we can have that eternal perspective, it really is opportunity. And it's incredibly difficult to see it that way. I know it. I know it. As it comes out of my mouth, it, it's, 
it's t it tastes like vinegar you know it just it just does it's not easy but we will have opportunities and i think that we need to look for opportunities especially as things get difficult we need to look for that growth and that opportunity because you know, what's waiting on the other side of that opportunity and that growth and those trials and tribulations is nothing short of, of godliness. I'm going to go ahead and, and cover something else here that I think is really cool. Um, Joseph Smith, while he was in jail, he was having a hard time. The saints were just being pounded, just mercilessly pounded. A lot of the church leadership was locked up there with Joseph. You know, it was, it was, it was tough going through the worst possible things. And he winds up <laughs> petitioning the Lord in DNC uh, 121. You know, Lord, where's the pavilion of thy hiding place? Like, like where, what, what's going on here, Lord? <laughs> what, you know, did did you leave us and forget us? You know, at at the circus. You know, did did, did you take us to the store and load up the groceries and forget that we were there at, at the store? You know. He's he's just asking. He's he's bewildered. You can hear the desperation in the writing. And the answer is, it is so interesting, and it just, to me, it just is just dripping with eternal perspective. It's dripping with the plan of salvation. It really is. It just. It's incredible. Uh, let's start here in verse 7. DNC 121, verse 7. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. And then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Thy friends do stand by thee. And they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. Thou art not yet as Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression as they did Job. Bring up Job, I know. It's a dirty trick. Verse 29. All thrones and dominions, principalities and powers shall be revealed and set forth upon all who have endured valiantly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world, and aspire to the honors of men, that they do not learn this one lesson, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true, but when we undertake to cover our sins, or to gratify our pride or vain ambition, 
or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness. Behold, the heavens withdraw themselves, the Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. Behold, ere he is aware, he is left unto himself to kick against the pricks, to persecute the saints, and to fight against God. Now, brothers and sisters, that's, it's interesting. It's interesting that the Lord takes us there, isn't it? Because at first he just, he's, he's hitting Joseph with some facts. He's like, look, think about Job. <laughs> you know, look at what you got. Look on the bright side. Look at what you got, Right. Eventually, he goes on to say that, you know, the Son of Man hath, hath descended below all these things. Art thou greater than he? Okay. Obviously not. But it's interesting that he goes here in those last couple verses that we read, uh, verses 36 through 38. Why would he mention that, brothers and sisters? Why would that come as advice to Joseph Smith? Why would that be a part of the discussion? Okay, I don't think it was a problem with Joseph. That's not what, please don't think that, because that's not what's going on here. You need to read this again if that's what you think. Okay? This is an explanation as to what he's experiencing, because there's been some betrayal that has happened here. There's some members of the church who have betrayed Brother Joseph. And the Lord is telling him why. He's giving him a window of understanding, saying, look, look at this. This, is, unfortunately, is a pitfall for mankind. Right? They want that, un that unrighteous authority. They want to, you know... They want to be the person that everybody looks to. You know, I, I'm going to pause here. I, I served in the, uh, in the military. Um, one of the things that you learn is that being a leader is not all of it's cracked up to be. I mean, if you're doing it right. And the military teaches you how to do it right. They really do. It's one of those things where, you know, I would laugh on my mission whenever missionaries would seek out uh, the opportunity to be the assistant to the president, right? Because without fail, 90, 95% of the time, it, it was because they just wanted to have that title, right? They wanted the accolades of being the AP so they could write home and say, you know, I was a, 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 uh, a district leader and then I became a zone leader. Now I have risen to the assistant president. And this isn't, you know, I'm not knocking anybody who's in leadership in the military, or excuse me, in the, in the mission field. I was in leadership in the mission field and I begrudgingly agreed to it every time because my president made me do it. I, 
I was a military boy. I understood what, what was required of me and what this all really meant. You know what I mean? You learn that leadership is a burden. And more so in the church, I think, leadership is... And this isn't disparaging. I'm not saying this in a disparaging way. Leadership should be a burden. Because Christ was burdened with leadership. He was burdened with our sins, literally, right? And when you are in leadership, it's, it's going to squeeze you a little bit. It's not, you're not there to seek, seek out self-aggrandizement. You're not there to be the man, quote-unquote, right? To be, this, this, uh, to be seen as this pillar of righteousness as to why you were, you were called to that position. That's, that's not it. Okay? You need to be worthy, of course, but you are there to be a humble servant. You are the first servant if you are the leader of anybody. You are responsible for those people, right? It's one of those things I... I go back and forth on this all the time, and I've stated it many times. Or I say, you know, I think that uh, I think some of those other countries that have the mandatory two years military service, I think that would do our people a lot of good. I really do, especially leadership training and stuff like that, and understanding. Of course, that was military when I was there, which was a few years ago. But still, there's valuable things to be learned there. And I'm going to draw a parallel here with people that we choose to listen to, people that we choose to take advice from. We don't want to be spoon-fed doctrine, especially as we go into potential uh, tribulation territory. We need to be going to the Scriptures ourselves. We need to be as things tighten up on us, as we get, you know, as we start to buckle under the, the weight of, of trials and tribulations, that's when we need to go to the scriptures, to the source, to the, to the spirit, to the prophets, the apostles, right? We don't want to go, and this is coming from somebody that, that runs a podcast but by myself, like, I shouldn't be the first person that you go to. Hopefully I'm leading you to some stuff, because I, I think you should read this stuff yourself, you know, and it's why I try to include as much scripture and authoritative uh, sourcing that, that I can give you, because that is where the, the cream of the crop is, that's where you should be. And all of this really is to illustrate a point, and to drive home the idea of, look, hard times may be coming, tribulations and trials may be coming, perhaps on a Great Depression level, I don't know. It sure seems that way, though. And I think that we can look to these righteous men in scriptures, and we really can learn something. Because they, obviously, they had some, 
They had some hardships. They had some trials, some serious stuff, legitimate occupation. I mean military occupation of their land, taxing of their goods, slapping them around, slapping their children around. You know, it's as we get ready, we really need to gird up our loins and fresh courage take. And though this is scary, we need to look for the opportunity here and treat this as a new beginning. You know, I think that if we can compel ourselves to be humble, if we can rein in the natural man and humble ourselves and not have to have our, our God do that for us, as we go into um, the territory that we're going into now, I think we can expect miracles and we can live by faith and not by fear. I'm going to tell you a little story here real quick before we wrap up. I'm going to tell you a story about 17-year-old Alan who somehow conned his parents into signing the dotted line that uh, gave me away to the, uh, the U.S. Army. I served in the, in the National Guard, but get trained by the, uh, by the Army, regular Army guys. A lot of love and respect for the army. I got shipped off to uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma as a 17-year-old, almost 18-year-old kid. There's been two times in my life where I have thought I, I was a man, and when I arrived somewhere, I knew I was a boy. That was one of those times. That time and my mission. I remember showing up. I remember uh, the drill sergeant picking us up and just knowing I'm, I'm in it now. You know, this, this is it. All the, all the things that I'd watched in preparation, it was go time, you know. Once we got through all of the uh, the in processing and stuff like that, and we got to our our battery where we are going to be for the duration of basic training, I remember getting there, and on I think it was the second Sunday, we arrived at a weird time. So the first Sunday I wasn't able to attend church. The second Sunday I was there, I was able to attend church. I was the only member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints out of my entire battery, out of 400 guys. Now, everybody else, they were Catholics, they were Protestants, they were whatever, you know. Everyone belonged somewhere. So they had a battle buddy that they could go to church with. Well, Alan didn't have a battle buddy, so a drill sergeant got to take Alan to church and then go pick him up. That was not a fun experience. 
<laughs> I remember after after those two weeks of hearing swear words masterfully crafted in ways that I have never even thought of with with my Mr. Rogers uh, given imagination, right? The things that they were that they put together were just works of art. They were works of explicit art. The volume that they had and that we endured and the lack of sleep, everything put together, I was shell-shocked. And I don't think I said a word other than yes, drill sergeant, no, drill sergeant. I didn't speak unless I was spoken to for weeks. But I remember showing up there on that second Sunday as soon as the drill sergeant dropped me off to where I was going to attend church. With, with, uh, with my people. And I'll never forget that. I will never forget thinking. These are my people. I came in and I was greeted with warmth from the elder couple that was there. I was greeted with warmth from the missionaries that were there. And that warmth and that love that I experienced there in just those few minutes It was like a, it was incredible. It was something that I had taken taken for granted for 17 years, brothers and sisters, almost 18 years. I had taken it for granted. And if it wouldn't have been for that two weeks of just, of just incredible, you know, trial and tribulation, it's funny because I'm grateful for I'm I'm so grateful for my drill sergeants. I'm so grateful for that experience. And this is just the first two weeks I'm talking about here. I could tell I could go on for hours with stories about this. But but this one is what I'll leave you with because after those two weeks that was that it was incredible to me. And that really it just melted my heart and I found myself a corner and sat down on the chairs where nobody could see me, and I just had a good cry. Not because I was sad, not because my feelings were hurt. I was expecting that from the drill sergeants, right? I, w I was crying because I didn't expect to feel that way. I was a kid who was having a very adult understanding come upon me and wash over me. And I remember thinking, these are my people. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I was in Oklahoma. I was thousands of miles away from home. But these were my people. They believed what I believed. I had some of the coolest opportunities that I've had in my lifetime during those, those couple of months that I was there.
even wound up um, being able to baptize a, a battle buddy and not having to go to uh, not having to go to church with drill sergeant anymore, <laughs> which was a direct blessing from God. But it was really, really, it was one of those things where if I didn't, if, if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't have appreciated it. And through the other trials and tribulations I've had in my life, some of them uh, self-incurred, because we, we're all morons sometimes. I don't know if I would have been strong enough to stand up to those later trials and tribulations that I had. And to this day, it brings, it, it brings tears to my eyes to, to talk about this story. And it's one I haven't shared a lot. Look for the opportunity in the tribulation. No matter what it is, no matter what we are called upon to go through, to sacrifice. If we can do that, brothers and sisters, we are ready to redeem Zion. And we are ready and we are expecting miracles to happen, regardless of how scary and dire the situation and, and, and consequences of actions of global leaders around the world are. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. Because the Lord will hold us in the hollow of His hand and he'll give us opportunity. And none of these trials uh, will be wasted opportunities for us. I leave this with you along with my testimony of the truthfulness of this gospel. I know that President Nelson is a prophet of God. I know the First Presidency is called of God along with the Twelve Apostles. They are hand-picked, chosen men of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is actively guiding the church through divine revelation. And if we can stay the course, if we can hold to the iron rod, come what may, we, we'll be okay. I love you guys. I love you guys that are listening in in Egypt and Belgium and, and Russia and everywhere else. I pray for you guys and I hope that whatever does come down the pike, we will be a match for as Latter-day Saints, as a body of Christ. I ask that the Lord will bless you and keep you safe and hold you in the hollow of His hand. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.